right? So buckle up, be prepared. And this message is not just for the married man, it's for the young man, it's for old man, it's for any man in this audience because God has something to say to us always through his word. And I think this morning we need to pay attention with very close ears and very humble hearts. And so if you would, we are going to be in the book of Colossians. Actually, we're going to skip around, but the main verse that we're going to study is in the book of Colossians, and we'll get to that in a second. But some of you might know this story um, about me, and some of you might not, but since I have you in your seats and you really shouldn't leave, I'm going to tell it to you anyway, okay? Um, You see, there's the summer of 1996, and I was attending senior high week summer camp at Hidden Acres, and at that time, they would group cabins into... A, group, a larger group. So they take a few guys' cabins, a few girls' cabins, they group them into what is, was called a brosis group. And it was mainly for um, the purpose of just having teams for games and activities and such like that. But these brosis groups would, would hang out and you'd get to know the people in your brosis group. And that summer, I met this little blonde gal um, who caught my eye, okay? She was from Ames, Iowa. She attended a high school youth group that met at the Evangelical Free Church there in Ames. And I got to know her really well through that week. We had a great week and our friendship began, okay? Fast forward a few months and it's New Year's Eve and I was invited to a New Year's Eve party by one of my friends in this youth group. And, and, uh, and he said, it's going to be fun. All the kids from the youth are going to be there. Here's the address. So I showed up at the address I was given. I knocked on the door, and guess who answered the door? It was this little blonde gal. And so we quickly kind of reacquainted, and the rest of the night was just a blast, uh, having fun with a bunch of Christian friends, and we rang in the new year, and it was awesome. And after that point, we stayed in touch. I began to not only attend my youth group, but I began to attend this youth group in Ames with a lot of my other friends, And her and I began to hang out together. And she even gave me her beeper number in case I needed to get a hold of her. That was was great. And so over the next year, we became best friends. And I mean that. Through the friendship, I also figured out that her mom was an amazing cook. And so intentionally, if I happened to stop by her house around dinner time, her mom always invited me to eat with her family. And I got to know her family really well. Her older brother, her dad, and her mom. And for her and I, there was nothing still more than just a friendship. I'll put it in this perspective. This was our friendship. When she was getting ready for for dances, and her mom needed help taking pictures with her and her dates, I was the friend that showed up to help take pictures. I was totally in the friend zone, but that was just fine. The spring of my senior year of high school, I was at her house one night, and I was just hanging out with her family and her, and and her dad turned to us and said, why don't you and Ryan go and fill the car up with gas tonight because I need it early in the morning. The the request actually was, was nothing odd because her and I ran errands all the time for her mom and dad. So we hustled out of the house, we got into this little Honda Civic, and we made our way to the local gas station. But when we got into the car, all of a sudden, something struck me. For the first time ever, I felt like God was saying, Ryan, this is the one. 
I was silent. I was dumbfounded. I did not know what was happening. And the entire car ride to and from the gas station was just silent. That was not normal with us. I I really don't remember how the evening ended. My mind was spinning. I remember that. And I kept this thought to myself for the next few months as graduation approached and my summer began. But I did a lot of thinking over those months. And I never told her what I was thinking. You see, our friendship went on like normal. And I didn't want her to know that I was beginning to see her in a different way. And I wanted to sort out my thoughts and my heart. And I I had made a decision early on as a teenager that, that I would date with a purpose. The person I chose to pursue in a dating relationship, I wanted to be marriage material. And here at 18 years old, I was considering this. Looking back on that, that's crazy. I was so young. We were so young. But nonetheless, God was stirring my heart, and I, and I couldn't ignore that. As the summer began, I, I couldn't keep things quiet any longer, and I needed to share with her what I was thinking. So uh, in true, noble, honorable fashion, I sent her an email. And I shared with her my thoughts and feelings. It was very brave. In that email, I shared that I respected our friendship. I respected her. admired her personality, her character, her family, and her faith. And if there was any feelings there for me, if I could have permission from her to begin dating her with a purpose. I sent this email in the morning before I went to work, and you guys, it was the longest day of my life. At the end of the day, I came back, I opened up my email, and I had seen that she had written back. And my nerves went crazy as I clicked on that line, and, I, and I'm sure I began to sweat. But the message read, yes, I was full of joy. I was excited. I was pumped. And I will never forget that moment. And I responded to her. I called her, and I said, look, um, I want to talk to your parents, too. I respect them enough that I want to abide by their thoughts and wishes. So that evening, I drove to her house, and her mom was the only one home. Her dad worked late into the night most nights. Marla was her mom's name. So I went into the house, and I approached Marla, and I said, Marla, I would like to ask your permission to date your daughter. Now, I'm sure that she had already talked to Kristen and probably knew that it was coming, but Marla said... Ryan, please come with me. So she led me into another room in the house where her and I were alone. And with a very serious face, she proceeded to give me an answer to her question. She said, here's what I have to say. What took you so long? She said, we've admired you from a long time. Of course you can date our daughter. She smiled. She gave me a hug. She led me back to her daughter, and that's where things began. A few years of dating led to another year of an engagement, which led to a wedding in May of 2001. And this spring, we will celebrate 20 years of marriage. It's absolutely awesome. 
20 years of being married to my best friend. 20 years of sharing life together. 20 years of raising a family. 20 years of hard times. 20 years of easy times. 20 years of learning how to be a spouse. 20 years of a covenant and a promise that I will keep for the rest of my life. It also means that it's been 20 years of being a husband. And I'm sure that if I asked Kristen to come up here, she would tell you that within those 20 years, I have not been the perfect husband. Trust me, there have been some incredible mistakes that I have made in those years. And you'd think that I would learn my lesson, right? Sadly, that's not true. I'm still learning. And I will continue to live with that commitment in mind. Now, thankfully... I have an incredibly gracious wife who is forgiving, patient, and loving. And she has given me a number of do-overs that I surely don't deserve. And I will continue to do my best and I will not take advantage of those. This morning we are starting a four-week series on the family, you guys. Matt will speak to the wives next week, but this week, guys, we are up to the plate. And we will venture to see and understand the role of a man and a husband within a family and a relationship, according to Paul's letter to the church of the believers in Colossae. And as we dive in a bit more here, I want to be very clear to you right now that because I am standing here, it does, mean, does not mean I am perfect. As I've prepared for this message, it's It's convicted me over and over, and I feel like somewhat of a hypocrite up here. I am not somebody who has it all figured out. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you, but please know that I am being taught just as God is teaching you today. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, please open them up to Colossians 3.19. That's where we're going to start today. Colossians 3.19 is not a long passage. Colossians 3.19 reads this. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's the end of the sermon. I'm kidding. But it does seem very straightforward, you guys. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. What Paul is sharing here is not rocket science. He's not speaking in code. He's not leaving a lot of gray area here. He is making it simple for us to understand. In this passage, man, there are two things that we are called to do. First... Love your wives. Love your wives. And second, do not be harsh with them. Logically, in my mind, if you can do the the love part well, then, then the do not be harsh should follow. In fact, he writes the same things to the church in Ephesus In the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 23, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to that too. In fact, we're going to start in verse 25. 
Chapter 5, verse 25 of Ephesians reads this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. So husbands, just do that. Sounds easy, right? However, how many husbands out there have been able to follow this command with 100% accuracy? Maybe I should ask your wives. Wives, how are these guys doing? Don't answer. What do they need to work on? I bet if I had a cordless handheld mic set up in the aisle, we'd spend a good portion of the next time that we have together hearing all the reports on the men in this room. And I'm afraid that we wouldn't want to hear it ourselves. Guys, we need to see the wisdom in what Paul is writing in the New Testament. We need to understand why God made it so important In addition, we need to stop settling for good enough as husbands and we need to work towards being great as husbands. When these letters were written, the majority of the lands were under Roman rule. Therefore, Roman customs, laws, and culture influenced many of the people throughout Europe, Asia, and even northern Africa. And Roman culture looked at a man with great expectation. The organization of the first century Roman household was, in theory, strictly hierarchical and paternalistic. The father was the head of the household. He had absolute legal authority over the house and responsibility for his family. Fathers were expected to provide for the material needs of their families and to take primary responsibility for training their sons to be productive members of society and do the same. Mothers provided a primary education in the households and were expected to be examples of propriety propriety and chastity. When Paul wrote this letter to the believers in Colossae, 
He simply confirmed the family structure by sanctifying it through a Christian view. He said, this is how culture sees it, but God also sees it this way. However, he added the spiritual side to it. Paul is telling husbands to love their wives, knowing that in some cases, this is a love that will need to be cultivated. It may not always be easy or natural. Even though it's been some 2,000 years since this letter was written, Paul's call for the social order of a Christian family is still the way it is designed, according to God. It's the design of a marriage between a husband and wife today. In church, I believe that this blueprint for godly marriages and families is not what our culture embraces anymore. One of the biggest reasons of failure in this area is men. It's us. Guys, I don't think that we are living up to the biblical expectations any longer and we are falling in to a culture that gives us excuses for the behaving the way we do. Or we begin to believe our own reasoning in certain situations. We give ourselves excuses for why we do what we do. And because of that, issues begin to appear in our marriage and then we seem surprised by it. Man, we created the situation and then we expect it to turn out better. Thought about having my wife jump up here at this point of the sermon to share some of her biggest frustrations with me. But then I thought she might be more honest than I'm prepared to hear. Also, she's scared to death to speak in front of crowds. So in preparing for this message, I had to do some self-evaluation to really discover finally my reoccurring faults as a husband. And as I studied and thought about my marriage to Kristen, I kept going back to the phrase in both of these passages. Husbands, love your wives. That word love. What does it mean? I mean, really, what do we think it means? What does it look like? Is love the same now as it was when it was written about 2,000 years ago? When I asked Google, what is love? It responded with four bullet points. It said this. It said, love is a willingness to prioritize another's well-being or happiness above your own. Good point. Love is extreme feelings of attachment, affection, and need. Love is dramatic, a sudden feeling of attraction and respect. And love is a fleeting emotion of care, affection, or like. Goodtherapy.org defined love as love means to be deeply committed and connected to somebody or something. The basic meaning of love 
is to feel more than liking towards somebody. How does the Bible define love? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and love never, never fails. Men, do you love your wives? Anybody feeling a bit humbled right now? I know I am. Even now as I read through this passage on love, the sinking feeling of guilt has happened over and over inside myself. Moments and memories popped up of when I have failed in, the, in these areas with my wife, and I'm not proud of that. What a convicting command from Paul. Husbands, love your wives. With a little bit of hesitation, I want to dive in even deeper. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. I think we need to understand that a little bit more. Let's pull it apart. It begins with love is patient. Men, how is your patience with your wife? How is your patience with your children? How do you speak to her or to them? Do you brush them off because what you're doing is more important? Do, you have, do they have the right to interrupt you when needed? Do you show your wife attention when it is due? Can your things wait? Can her things have priority over yours? Love is kind. Men, how do you speak to your wife? Are your words kind? Gentle, loving, uplifting? Are they demeaning? What do you do for her on a daily basis? How are you showing kindness? Do you serve her? Or do you expect that she serves you? Do you put her needs before yours? Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Men, how do you see yourselves as you relate to your wife? 
Do you think highly of yourself as the man of the house? Are you better than her? Do you see yourself as superior to her? Are you jealous of her in some way? Love does not dishonor others. Men, do you honor your wife? Do you respect her, who she is and what she does? Do you speak to her with an honoring voice? How do you speak of her to others? Do you and would you defend her? Do you back her up? Love is not self-seeking. Men, do you put yourself in your needs before your wife's needs? Do you care for yourself more than her? Love is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrong. Men, how are we doing here? I'm almost afraid to ask, are you successful here or are you failing? When you're angered, what do you bring up from the past? What do you hold against her? When you're angry, what does your wife see? What does she feel? And what message are you sending to her? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Men, where are you at with this? Are you seeking truth? Specifically, biblical truth. What are you teaching and showing to your wife, your family, and those around you? Are you deliberately making choices not to fall into sin, to avoid it? Do you let it happen too easily? In what ways are you leading your wife spiritually? Are you praying for her? Are you praying together? Love always protects. Men, are you protecting your wives, your family, not only from the dangers of this world, but from the spiritual danger that is at you guys? What are you doing to to build the spiritual walls of protection around your wife and your family? What are you allowing to creep into your marriage, your household, and even your children? Love always trusts. Men, are you trusting of your wives? Wives, are you trustworthy? Are you both being honest with each other, or are you keeping secrets? Love always hopes and perseveres. Men, what are you instilling in your marriage? Do you lead with hope? Are you willing to work through things? Do you know and believe that if you put forth the effort, you can heal tough situations? Do you believe that your marriage can truly last or are you just hoping for the best? And love never fails. Men, do we believe this? Wives, do you believe this? 
True love will never, the scripture says, never fail. As you can see, the word love is loaded. It's heavy. And my fear is that the culture around us doesn't understand that. In truth, the word love is used flippantly. I hear people saying, oh, I love this or I love that. Or I hear people saying to others, my, my daughters do this, love you to their friends. When we say that word, are we really meaning it with the depth that God intends? With the depth that we just read in these scriptures. Man, are you committed to love your wife through no matter what comes? What about the next argument that happens? Wives, are you committed? Our world has treated love as a, as a try your best and if it doesn't work, move on type of thing. Love is a deeper commitment. Remember that passage ends with love always hopes, it always perseveres, and love never fails. I remember when Kristen and I were first married or were, were engaged or somewhere in there. I can't remember when it was, but I heard somebody say in a, in a marriage class, sometimes you have to choose to love your spouse. And I thought, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I love her. That's dumb. I love her. Why would I have to choose to love her? Guess what? This guy knew what he was talking about. I'm surprised because if my wife was sitting here, she would say amen. There have been many days that I know that my wife has had to choose to love me through a certain situation. And I likewise her, even when our earthly hearts find it hard to love, God seems to fill the void. And if we trust and know what the scripture teaches, we can still love. This all leads to a more important question, though, husbands. And that is this, how much do you love Jesus? Do you understand how much Jesus loves you? Now that we know what love is, where is your relationship with the Savior? Scriptures say over and over again that you are loved by God, but do you understand the depth of that? God loves with the same love in this last passage. And he cannot do anything different towards you. He is perfect. He loves perfectly and he never fails. 1 John 4, 9 through 11 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Romans 8, 37 through 39 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. John 3.16, we know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but has everlasting life. Everlasting, everlasting life. Be honest with yourself, men. Do you love with that depth? Do you love Jesus? How would you rate yourself here? Not that a rating is a proper measuring tool, but are we falling in love with Jesus the more we know him? The more that we learn about him, the more that we understand the gospel, do you truly love him because of what he's done for you? Man, we need to pursue Jesus with a thirst that the scriptures call us to. And it's not always easy to do that. Matt just mentioned that. There is a constant spiritual battle that we need to wage in order to know Jesus more. Satan is going to make every move in the book for us. And he's going to teach us excuses not to grow in that relationship with Christ. I don't have enough time. I don't know how to study the Bible. I'm not sure if God is even listening. I don't know how to pray well. Guys, stop making excuses. And start making your walk with Christ a priority. And let your wife see that. And let your kids see that. Let your friends see that. If we have our relationship right with Christ, loving others, especially our wives, should be an easier command to follow. You would understand what it means to care and protect and sacrifice for her. You would understand how important it is to love her and allow her to know that you love her. We need to fall in love with Jesus so that we can love our wives with a depth that is hard to explain. With a love like that, we could be better at being a patient, kind, considerate person to others. We could control our anger. We wouldn't hold grudges. Showing and teaching truth would be easy. Protecting, trusting, and showing hope. If we had a love like that, even through tough times, it would not fail. And with a love like that, it would make it easier to obey the second part of that Colossians passage in 319 that says, Husbands, do not be harsh with your wives. They shouldn't. And they wouldn't see that in our character. Rather, they would see a loving man whom they would desire to respect. Matt will preach next week. And in his message, I believe he's going to talk a little bit about how, how God has hardwired husbands to, create, or to crave respect. Especially from their wives. If respect is lacking in your marriage, my question to you men is this. Are you truly loving your wife? 
Are you being harsh with her? If you're not doing well in this area, then men, how can we expect a wife to respect us? It begins with us. God did not design husbands and wives to use and abuse each other in relationships. And I feel like our culture preaches quite a bit that this is how to do it. You get what you need, that's why you're with you, with them. Our culture teaches a love that's lacking a spiritual depth, and it tells us, give it a try, and if it doesn't work, move on. It preaches God does not have to be a part of a relationship. You can do this on your own. It teaches us that we should follow the, the natural human tendencies. You guys, we have to start going against the flow of our culture and do what God commands us to do. Love is tough. But love is worth it. Men, love your wives. And wives, love your husbands. And commit to a marriage that's holy. It will be tough. Marriage is never easy, but that's what makes it so special. In 20 years of being married to my best friend, we've been through things that most marriages would have crumbled in. We've seen friends who married about the same time as us quit on their commitment. Kristen and I made a commitment. I promise to be a godly husband, not a perfect husband. A godly husband who tries and will never give up. And I pray, men, that that be our commitment from here on out. So what needs to change, guys? What are you going to do? Are you going to love your wife as you should? What do you need to admit to? In what areas of your life are you failing? What routines do you need to change in your house? Your change or leadership in this area will dictate your relationship with your wife. And I believe we need to humble ourselves and make the first move here. There is no negotiating to be done. There is no, I will if she will. There is only, you must. Start loving your wife. Put her first. Care for her. Love her with a love that you can't understand. Show her that you love her by doing things for her. Helping her, taking on tasks, leading her in your family, folding the laundry, doing the dishes, cooking a meal, whatever it takes to show her how much she means to you. Tell her that you love her. When a godly man follows God's commands... Things play out as they should. 
be a godly man. Let's pray. God, your word is truth. And sometimes your word is tough. And Father, this morning you are calling men to be men. To be the way that you designed them to be. To be the husbands you called them to be. To be the leaders and fathers that you called them to be. And Father, I just pray that this morning we would not leave here numbed and dull. God, I pray that my brothers in this room and and watching would be challenged to live differently and gain the respect of their wives by loving them the way you designed us to. God, continue to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen.